Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Amen. It is good to see you this morning. Be here in this incredible church and uh, to be with your pastor. So good to be with the 11 o'clock service. People that don't come to church early, that don't want to just check church off and make sure the speaker has to quit. And uh, you come because there are no time limits. We can go all the way to tonight. And uh, you're hungry. You're more hungry for God than those early birds. And uh, just so you know, I talked about y'all to them. So different story for different groups. Hey, before I get started, uh, I just want to honor your pastors. Uh, I really, really, really have heard about Pastor Sean for years because he was in the Tennessee district for a little bit. And then he was in South Texas and uh, with friends of mine. But when I really reconnected with him was in Miami, Florida at a meeting with Rich Wilkerson and there were a group of us down there and, and, and hearing about their entrepreneurial spirit and what God is doing here, I'd heard about that, uh, just really reconnected us and then going through COVID. And uh, it's just an honor to be here and it's an honor to be with you. And, and, you know, what incredible leaders you have. Churches are dying around the country and yours is thriving. And that all goes to leadership. So let's give a big shout out to Pastor Sean and Sonny today. I mean, God bless them. Hey, I would love to personally meet you. They've got the books out there for sale in their product table area, and I'm going to sign them. This is the first cassette tape. Do you know what a cassette tape is? You do. Your granddad has some, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, this is actually a thumb drive. And after leaving my church after 28 years, my four children, I have triplets, Gabrielle, Danielle, Galen, my wife actually had them, but I had to pay for them. And uh, I mean, Gabrielle, Danielle, and Galen, two identical blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls, and my daddy's a Cajun, and my son's got all the Cajun look. And uh, then we had another son eight years later and called him Oops. And uh, that'll dawn on some of you later on. But after I left the church, they listened to every sermon I preached and picked their top 50. There's a book out there that I didn't know we had. We did send a few copies of Why I Believe in Santa Claus. That sermon is on here. It is the only sermon that the church asked me to preach every year. So at some time in December, I always preach that sermon. And uh, it's a great story. Uh, Oh, let me see. What all's on here? Lessons from Lazarus. And uh, I wonder if Lazarus had on any clothes under those grave clothes. When Jesus said, loose him and let him go, was he naked? See, most of you have never thought about stuff like that, and that's why you don't read your Bibles. And, uh, Pastor, it's okay. In this church, I can say that. Most churches, you couldn't say that. You got to go to Job to be naked. Yeah. Did you ever notice how many naked people Jesus talked to? Let me tell you why. I'm going to give you the spiritual root behind that rather than being a joke. Remember Mary's story, how she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit? She had a scarlet letter A on her life. She knew when she submitted to that divine birth that the other women would judge her. Remember when Jesus told John, your mother, mother, your son, maybe he wasn't saying take care of her. Maybe he said, I want you to learn from the woman that taught me. 
Why did Jesus have a heart for the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery? Because they represented his mother. So good. Yeah. So I want to challenge you to read your Bible. It's a great book and it's got some great prison stories in it. In 2013, I was diagnosed with cancer and we ran a $17 million building program. We were building a children's ministry center with the largest indoor playground in Nashville and just making our church a destination church. And I couldn't go to the doctor after my doctor evaluated me because I knew if I went to the oncologist and they started doing cancer treatments, the bank was going to freak out. So I had to live by faith that year. And I took my son who was graduating from high school, my youngest son, the older kids are married with children. And I took him on a motorcycle, motorcycle ride around America. I wrote him a 30-day devotional. Every day I gave him a piece of paper, read the devotional, went over it with him. Uh, so in here are those 30 days of devotions of what I believed a young man would need to believe in his character and his faith to be the man God called him to be if his dad was absent. And uh, God healed me, and that story's in here. And then, uh, it was just an incredible journey. This is my last book. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go watch Huckabee tonight on TBN, the rerun, I taped that Friday night, and uh, Governor Huckabee loves this book. And uh, this is the book, Hindsight 2020. Pastor and I could tell you all the great things that I had the opportunity to do, and I've been met with the president in the White House. I've opened the United States House of Congress in prayer. I've been the chaplain for the state senate in Tennessee for 30 years. God has just opened doors for me. But you know what? Nobody, nobody learns from you bragging on yourself. That's really kind of arrogant. And we all do it, but I wrote down the 10 things I got wrong. Micromanaging, uh, didn't understand the difference in authentic and unfiltered. I thought if I just came up with these one-liners like I gave to Huckabee, I said, you know, Mike, loving me is like frying bacon naked. Well, and, and that's okay. People can laugh at that. But when you use the word naked, like I did earlier, church people go, ooh, yeah. ooh. They rear in, grabs the fabric. Ooh. I mean, we know who you are. There's a little crease in your seat when I get done preaching. And uh, I know y'all are conservative, but y'all going to laugh today. And uh, if I've got to work, you're going to laugh. I may not ever get to come back, and I may lose my credentials, but you're going to laugh. But what I discovered as I've lived every day of my life, as I went through this transparent introspection, which is what Paul did when he said, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I do. What's going on in me? That's, man, that, that's a level of leadership we don't see today in ministry. People get transparent about their humanity and then magnify God's grace. And uh, I discovered I, was, I led as a leader trying to prove I was bigger than my shame and my guilt. Man, when you're proving something, you're not going to maximize your potential you're not going to fulfill the ultimate calling of God in your life because you don't have to prove what God has already done. That's right. And uh, so I'd love for you to buy those books. Besides that, I have seven grandchildren and a wife that has an insatiable desire to go shopping. <laughs> How many of you are married in here? Men. How many of you are married? Uh, okay. You only have one job. One. Make all the money she can spend. That's it. You said that's impossible. We serve a God with whom all things are possible. Yeah. In January of 1975, I was 18 years of age. I was a graduate of New Mexico Military Institute from Roswell, New Mexico, where there are aliens. I'd gone out there when I was a junior in high school because I'd become a drug addict. And I was almost flunking out. Well, for two years in Roswell, in a military academy, in an extremely disciplined environment, I did great. 
came back to Dallas in 74, and by 75, I'm a drug addict again. Because I discovered that you could control a person, but until there's a heart change on the inside, there's no destiny change on the outside. And as I went through that process and got strung out, I became a speed freak. You would call him a meth addict today. Weighed 133 pounds. And my natural father, who's a Cajun out of southern Louisiana, called and came over to the apartment, and he came in drunk as he had been most of my life and looked at me through bloodshot eyes and said, boy, I want to talk to you about the life that you're living and the road that you're on. And as my dad confronted me, I did what so many young people do. I just sat there outside respectfully, but inside I'm thinking, just get this over with. I, I have to sit here, but I don't have to listen to you. And my dad realized that his son was in trouble. He did something I never knew my dad would do. He said, Mari, I want to talk to you for a moment about God. And I did something I never knew I would do. I said, Dad, wait a minute. You don't know me very well, and you haven't been around very much in my life. So let me tell you something about your son that you don't know. I don't believe there is a God. And I remember thinking, if there was a God, he would have done better than a daddy like you. You say, Mari, how can you be raised in the South and not believe in God? It's not that hard. My stepdad, who adopted me and gave me the name Davis, had a lake house. We spent every Sunday at the lake, every weekend at the lake. If you want to know who your God is, tell me where you are on the Sabbath day. If it's holy, it's not yours. Isaiah 58 says the Sabbath day is when you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure. In other words, you don't do what you want to do on Sunday. You do what he wants you to do on Sunday. Have no other gods before me. The moment you make a decision to take that which is holy and do what you want to with it, you have made yourself your own God. Most people don't understand that. I didn't learn anything at school about God because they're so brilliant. They kicked God out of school and put the theory of evolution in there, which basically says we came from goo to you by way of the zoo, which makes us incredibly special species, doesn't it? What I didn't learn at school, I didn't learn at church because at 18 years of life, I'd never been invited to church one time because church people don't invite families like mine to their churches. My dad didn't know what to do. He ate the rest of that meal in silence, stepped over to the door and looked at me with tears running down his face and said, I'm not the father that I should have been. And son, I'm not the Christian that I should be. Married six times, failed in marriage six times, left me sitting on the front porch with my little bag on his weekend to come get me and didn't get past the beer joint to get there. He was an alcoholic. But there is a God. I met him when I was 16 years old in a little church in southern Louisiana. And my drunk daddy started to walk down the steps of that apartment and turned around and looked at me and said, God's going to put you in a place to get your attention. Had you asked me that day what I was going to do in life, I'd have told you, I'm going to go dancing tonight. I'm going to the club. I'm going to drink till 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm hanging out till they say last call for alcohol. I'm going to shut the bar down and try to take somebody home. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. My dad walked off, and I walked on. Never dreamed at 18 years of age how quickly life can change. I hear people say, well, your habits determine your destiny. Well, they may affect it, but let me tell you, a momentary decision can affect your destiny. It only takes one moment of stupid to make a challenge for the rest of your life. In the middle of a crime, the next morning, I committed a horrible, brutal, inexcusable murder. And 24 hours after that, after a high-speed chase in a car wreck, I was arrested and taken to the Irving City Jail. 
when they took me out of the police car, shackled and changed, the news cameras were there. And as they took me in the jail, the Sergeant John Loper was standing there, and he was looking at a family picture that I had in my apartment. They'd raided the apartment the night before, and I wasn't there. But they had a picture so they knew what I was, looked like, who they were looking for. And he looked and realized he had gone to school, my stepdad, Bob Davis. He said, is Bob Davis your daddy? I said, yes, sir. He said, you pick up the phone and call him right now. You're going to be on the news at 6 a.m. news. It's about 5.30 in the morning. I picked up the phone and called my dad, woke him up. He said, what do you do? What do you need? I said, Daddy, I'm in jail. And you could hear the exasperation on his face. He thought it was probably fighting in a bar, speeding, not paying tickets, running police officers, something not crazy bad. And I said, Daddy, I'm in jail for murder. And I'm guilty. I didn't know the heart of a dad, the silence on the other line. But I can tell you, when he regained his composure, he said, don't say anything to anybody. We'll be there as quick as we can. It wasn't long after that that Dallas's number one criminal attorney, Dennis Brewer, showed up. Dennis had gone to school with my mom and dad, but I knew Dennis because I'd gone to school with his oldest daughter, Susan, all during my uh, elementary and junior high years. And I knew Dennis from the bars. He was a womanizer. He was a drug user. He was a hardcore alcoholic. And he was a totally corrupt, powerful attorney. Exactly what you want when you're guilty. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is going to send you to the electric chair. He talks to me for five minutes, and then I meet a Dennis Brewer I didn't know. He reaches into his briefcase and pulled out a big black Thompson chain reference Bible and said, boy, I need to talk to you about God. Let me tell you what happened to me. About six months ago, I went home all drunk and doped up, and I was just partying in the house, shooting my pistol off in the house, and my wife took the children that were upstairs as the bullets were going through the floor and said, we can't live with you anymore. You, I can't stay married to you anymore. I've taken all I can take and left me. I didn't know what to do. The next Sunday, I was a broken man. I went down to her church on a Sunday night with 59 people in a little Pentecostal church. I found myself in my lawyer suit at an altar of prayer crying in front of all those people. I had an encounter with God that I never understood before. God took out my heart of stone, gave me a heart of flesh, transformed my life, took me off of alcohol and drugs. I've never had another desire, set me free, brought my my wife and my children home and we go to church together, baptized me in the Holy Spirit while I was jogging in the middle of an intersection, began to speak with other tongues. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and took her to a full gospel businessmen's meeting. They laid hands on her and she no longer has breast cancer. God supernaturally healed my life and he got all, he's he just preaching away and he says, are you ready to pray? I said, no. He said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, get me out of jail. He said, no. I said, why not? He said, oh, you're not ready yet. Subsequently, I went to the Dallas County Jail and when a man committed suicide four feet away one night while I was sleeping and when I woke up the next morning and realized that four feet away this man had taken his life, it rocked my world. I'd already gone through detox, but now sobriety of my soul was setting in. When a man cut himself down in the day room across from me and the note that he had in his jumpsuit that the guards read to each other to his wife said a lot of things, but the last paragraph I've never forgotten, it said, I'm sorry for all the pain that I've caused you. You'll be better off without me. I can't take it anymore. I didn't tell anybody, but is that sobriety of the seriousness of what I'd done set in? I, I realized, when do I write that letter to my mom and dad? I'm sorry for all the pain and shame that I've caused you. You'll be better off without me. I can't take it anymore. I finally prayed my first prayer. I looked up at a concrete ceiling and I said, God, if you're up there, and you come down here and prove yourself to me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And can I tell you when I gave God a chance, 
God showed up in every way God can show up in my life. Preachers from every denomination began to come talk to me, from the Catholic priest to the Methodist to the Presbyterian to the Church of Christ to the Baptist to the Pentecostal. They came from every walk of the kingdom of God and began to talk to me about Jesus. But the man that affected my life was a man by the name of Tommy Joe Wilson who was a backslidden Assembly of God boy who had gotten in trouble because he went to a bar with his older brother and he's in jail. Between getting arrested for the first time in his life and getting to me, he got on his knees and said, God, forgive me, change my life, refill me with a fresh filling of the Spirit of God. And I mean, he had fallen in love with Jesus. Here he comes into our five, we have five eight-man cells, about 40 men in the tank area, and a day room that we could all go out and have dinner at and watch TV. And here comes a happy man in an unhappy environment. 39 deranged people. Murderers, rapists, psychopaths, drug addicts, dope dealers. Uh, everything was represented in the criminal world. And here's a happy person. Do you know what a happy person is in an unhappy room? There are lights shining in the darkness. You look across the room and everybody's frowning at you and one person smiles. Who do you talk to? A smile will make a difference. Now, ladies, y'all learn how to smile early in life. Guys, grumpy is just not abnormal for men. That's an unhappy man. No, that's just a man. We just look unhappy. Hmm? It's trying to make all that money for our wives to be happy. Anyway, I told y'all, y'all are going to laugh. It can get worse. I have dad jokes. I have granddad jokes. <laughs> I'd go by Tommy and he'd say, you want to study the Bible? And I'd say, no, but... Things began to go downhill. The psychiatrist evaluated me, Dr. Grigson, gave the psychological report to my attorney who gave it to me, said I was a homicidal maniac and would kill people the rest of my life. He testified at my trial. He was the, I was the most dangerous inmate he had ever evaluated uh, psychologically. And I sat on a table and I thought, am I crazy? And Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Mari, everything's going to be all right. Wasn't long after that that my attorney said, hey, I asked the district attorney for a 50-year plea bargain. I sat on that table because he thought that's the best we could do. I thought, I'll be 68. I'm not going to live that long in here. Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, everything's going to be all right. Wasn't long after that that Gary Noble, the district attorney, tore it up, personally told me, I'm going to put you in an electric chair and send you to hell where you belong. I sat on that table, not ready to die at 18 years of age. And Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, everything's going to be all right. One day I stopped an older inmate by the name of Richard Salisbury from molesting a younger inmate. When I went to bed that night, I forgot about it and I just wrapped up my little blanket trying to get warm. And I felt the shank hit my throat and Richard was gonna cut my throat. And just as he did that, Tommy said, Richard, if you kill him, you have to kill me too. I never forgot that moment. I thought, what is it about him that makes him willing to put his life on the line for somebody like me? I didn't know how to say I love you because I'd never heard my dad say that. But I loved him like a brother. And when he went to trial, he came back in with that same smile on his face. And I thought they let him go. They let him go. He's the only person that ever, all the rest of us belong in here and we're going to get what we deserve. That guy does not belong in here. And I looked at my friend, this man that I love like a brother, and I said, Tommy, what did you get? And he said, Mari, I received 75 years in the state penitentiary. It's like a fist went through my gut. And I went and I laid down on my bunk and I put the blanket over my head and I began to cry. And as I laid there crying because my friend's life was over, reality set in. If that's what they did to him, they are going to put you to death. 
And I realized I was never going to walk outside and see the sun come up in the morning. I was never going to walk outside again and see the moon and stars at night. I was never going to feel another snowflake, hear another wave crash on the beach. And then I grew up and realized your mother will never touch you again the rest of your life. She'll never put her arms around your neck and say, I love you. I never really thought about that until I didn't have it. Your daddy will never put his hand on your shoulder and say, I'm proud of you. And it dawned on me, I wanted my daddy to be able to say he was proud of me. And as I laid there just crying, just bawling, Tommy walked in. And somewhere out of that mess of emotion, I asked him the question that changed my life. How do you handle it? And I never forgot what he said. I would rather be in this jail with Jesus Christ than back out there living like we were for the devil. When that man said that, something changed on the inside of me, and I knew there was a God. The Bible says the scales came off. God opened my understanding. I said, Tommy, tell me about your God. And he took a Bible and opened it to the Gospel of John that was written so that men might believe. And he began to read me, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. He took me to Corinthians where God would make me a brand new creation. All of the old things would pass away and everything would become new. And I thought, if that doesn't happen, I have no future. If it can't pass away, I can have nothing new. Nothing new can happen until something passes away. And then he took me to the scripture where God would be a friend that's closer than a brother. He would never leave me and he would be with me always, even to the end of the age. I didn't have anybody like that because even my mom and dad couldn't go where I was fixing to go, the state penitentiary. Only God could go with me. And then he took me to a God that could make a way where there was no way. A God could open a door that no man could shut a God with whom all things are possible and all of a sudden as the word of God came alive in me Jesus Christ walked off the pages of the Bible into my heart I believed on Jesus got down on my knees with tears in my eyes and hurt in my heart forgiveness of sin I asked God to change my life and God took out a heart of stone that had no empathy no compassion no conscience whatsoever no care for anybody but myself and transformed me at that at that altar there beside that little steel bed that morning and I got up and I was just radically saved I just became radically turned on I fell in love with Jesus and I was set free from the alcohol and the drugs never had another problem with that and you know I didn't know what to do the preacher came by and said here's a Bible read this book and do what it says Greatest sermon I ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Just read the book. And, yeah. and you know, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories I didn't tell in first service because they weren't spiritually healthy enough to handle it. <laughs> you, read the, you don't read the Bible because to you it's boring because you don't let your imagination, which God gave you, make it come alive. Man, I'm reading the Bible. I'm freaking out. I get all the way to the book of Jonah and Jonah's in the whale and I'm thinking, you're an idiot. You know God, you know what God wants, and you go the wrong way. That's dumber than not knowing God and going the wrong way. And then I heard a preacher when I got out preaching about Joan and the well. Now, I've had my imagination of how this happened, how I pictured the Bible in my mind. And then you hear a preacher. I'd never heard a sermon. So I don't, I'm a blank canvas. So my, my canvas was painted on by the Spirit, not some preacher. And I heard a preacher preaching. He goes, and God said, Jonah, how far will you run? I thought, God ain't got to scream at nobody. When you got that much authority, you ain't got to scream. Now, my imagination, God was kind of like Casper, the friendly ghost. Just kind of stuck his head and looked at Jonah and thought, you're an idiot. And God, did you know Jesus asked 150 questions in the New Testament? One sermon in your New Testament 150 questions. Very first thing God said when Adam was messed up is, where are you? 
not I'm fixing to get with you. God asks questions. So my imagination, the Godfather, when you're in prison, you read it from the inmate point of view, just looked at Jonah and said, hey, look here. Which end of this fish do you want to come out of? <laughs> Makes the choice pretty simple, doesn't it? I get all the way to James and read out of the same mouth not to come both blessing and cursing. And it's the first time I experienced conviction that my life wasn't where God wanted to be in an area of my life because I cussed all the time. And so I, I, I was ashamed of myself that this God that had saved me, I'd already been violating his plan for my life. And I go get Tommy Joe and I said, Tommy, did you know it was a sin to cuss? And he said, yeah. Well, it made me mad. So I yanked him up and I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, it's not your biggest problem. You know, we expect people that have never been in church to come to church with a train load of past sins and to act like they never had a train. Wow. And we're going to clean them up. It's not our job to clean people up. It's our job to love people and let our light shine. So good. The Lord does the cleaning. Yeah. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want you to hit me. He said, that's your problem. You have a fight every day. I said, if you love Jesus and you love me, you'll hit me if I cuss. He said, okay. That afternoon, he hits me on the shoulder, and I don't bruise easy now, and I'm 66. I sure didn't bruise easy when I was 18. And he hit me hard. I just looked at him thought, I said, okay. I ask you to hit me, not hurt me. That's not going to go well. I said, thank you. I walked off, and I was mad at him because he didn't have to hit me that hard. That afternoon, I'm talking to somebody, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm standing like this talking to a guy. I never see it. The next thing I know, right on the bruise, he's like, he nails me, and he knocks me off my plate. And I catch myself, and I start at him, which is a manly reaction to getting hit. The sissy reaction is, please don't hit me. Never works. That's like, please don't stab me again. Never works. You better go into man mode. You understand that. And I looked at, I started at him and I caught myself and I said, thank you, Tommy. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was so mad. I get in my bunk. I said, I tell you what, God, I'm not cussing again. If he hits me and everybody else thinks they can hit me, that is not going to happen. I'm going to hurt somebody. And, he don't, and I'm mad at God and I'm mad at Tommy. And finally, I prayed the most brilliant prayer I ever prayed. God, you, I'm not cussing anymore. You just watch me. That is the stupidest prayer you can pray. How about help me, deliver me? You shut the mouths in the Old Testament. How about shut my mouth? I get up the next morning and I have no idea why I'm talking. I've got my tray waiting to get the food on it. And I see him and just as he swings, I throw my shoulder up like not on the bruise, hits me right on the chin, busts my head on this metal beam sticking out. And as my hands, my knees lock and my arms drop, I realize he's knocked me out. And then I wake up my nose is broke. I got blood everywhere. And Tommy's going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no problem. Now, that's how I got delivered from cussing. And let me tell you the lesson there. God makes you right, not bright. You've got to renew your own mind. Long story short, I got a 20-year sentence in the Texas Department of Correction because my jury foreman had been possessed with the demon of murder before he got set free and started an insurance company. And he defended me in the jury room to 11 people that wanted to give me a life sentence. 
I get to prison. I get in trouble the first week every day. My third day in prison, I'm in the shower. You need to understand, they locked me up with guys that are six foot tall, and the minimum weight was 190 pounds. I was a 133-pound, five-foot-eight speed freak. Third day, we're in the shower. My hands are bloody from hoeing, working in those cornfields and cotton fields. I mean, I'm beat July in Texas. And that cold water hits me, and I close my eyes, and I go, ah. And this big guy goes, hey, Davis. I thought, here it is. This is that moment. You're either going to man up or be a victim. And when you're the chihuahua in the Doberman pen, you know how chihuahuas are? Hot, 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 hot. You want something? And the guy goes, man, calm down. Me and the guy's been talking. We like you. I looked around, 23 other guys soaping up, looking at me like a rabbit in the middle of a coyote pack. I thought, oh, man. He said, you stay in so much trouble, we don't hardly have to do any work at all. I became the mascot for the biggest, baddest group of people in the penitentiary. Guys, what the devil means for evil, God will turn for good. You can believe that. Let me tell you two more stories. I'm going to be a little bit late today, but you're going to be okay. I think. If you're not, maybe God can help you. And uh, the chaplain called us to the chapel, and he had an inmate share their testimony. There were five guys. I only remember one named Pee Wee Garrett. He was the brother of Alvin Garrett, who was the wide receiver for the Washington, I said, uh, Redskins uh, earlier, which is politically incorrect, the Washington football team, now the Washington Commandos or whatever they are. And, uh, but back then, they were the Washington Redskins. Is that the name of them, Commandos? Commanders. Commanders. <laughs> I'm trying, bro. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Don't tell people I said that. We know a lot of preachers. That would cost me. And he said something I never heard. He said, I've got a God that is so big. I haven't had a fight in three and a half years. I went and grabbed that guy. I said, what do you know about God that I don't know? He said, I know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, what's that? He said, it's the power of God. I said, do you have it? He said, yeah. I said, give it to me. He said, man, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you got to hear the word to have faith to get what God wants you to have, come to Sunday school Sunday. I found out how to go to my very first Sunday school class now, you need to understand, I've not been around Pentecostal people. I have no idea what's fixing to happen. I go to Sunday school, and I sit in the little desk for inmates to get their GEDs in. There's about 35 desks. There's probably 75. There's people standing around the room and in the aisles and standing behind where he's going to teach. He says, before we begin today, let's pray. I'd never heard Pentecostals do really the Pentecostal prayer thing. And uh, I bowed my head, closed my hands, waited for him to say, God, help us to understand your word today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. He starts screaming, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, move in there. And when he said move, everybody came up out of them chairs. They stood up all around the room, and they all started praying at the same time out loud and out loud and out louder. It got loud. They're praying, God, send the wind. God, send the rain. God, send the fire. God, let the Spirit flow. Pour out your Holy Spirit today. God, and then they start talking in other languages. I have no idea. I, I'm scared to death. I'm tormented. And I look down, my knuckles are white, and I'm praying, God, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. I started trying to serve Jesus. I, I don't know what's happening. If you don't let anything happen to me, I won't come back. And I, I'm scared. And then they start trying to stop praying. And Pentecostal people do not know how to stop. They cannot just say amen and shut up. When you say amen, it means you're done. It's not amen, glory to God. No, shut up. You don't say glory to God, hallelujah, Lord, we thank you, love you, praise you. You don't, you're not a choo-choo train. Shh, shh, shh. 
stop. You said amen. God quit listening when you said amen and you started listening to else because you said I'm done. And you lied to God when you said amen and you keep praying. They finally stopped praying. These people are sweating. They have been on their feet. I don't understand praying through. I don't understand intercessory prayer. I don't understand the power of praise. I don't understand anything. I just know I just want the Holy Ghost because I want people to stop hitting me in my face. Stop stabbing me. I got stabbed three times in there. People say it doesn't hurt when you get stabbed. It hurts every time. You're not made to have other holes poked in your body. He says, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So I go to the front of the Bible to figure out what page Acts is on because I don't know where it is. And I get over there. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and in one accord. I'm thinking of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? I thought he was going to tell me what it meant. The day of Pentecost was a feast day for the Jewish nation. And there was two days that they celebrated, which was abnormal because most of the Jewish holidays are one-day holidays. This is a big-time day. I'm looking down trying to say, how do you say Pentecost? I'm trying to understand the pronunciation of that word. And he starts screaming again. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. And he's, he's kind of going into his house. The people in the back are going, oh, glory. Oh, bring it. Oh, how they're all talking while he's preaching. Some of you could learn to do that. It'd be more fun. And all of a sudden... Uh, there the day of Pentecost had come uh, and they were all together and they were in one place and all of a sudden uh, there came a sound from heaven uh, it did not come from J.C. Penney it did not come from Sears and Roebuck but it came from the portals of glory as the breath of God transcended the throne of God over the balcony of heaven and it flowed into that room where they were they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind uh, have you ever heard the wind church and the guy beside me jumps up and goes I hear the wind I hear the wind I hear the wind and all of a sudden he said there appeared upon those men cloven tongues like as a fire have you ever felt the fire church and they're going I feel the fire I feel the fire they're dancing they're humming they're spitting they're shouting they're all talking and he says now do you want it and I said no no I'm scared of it and I got up and left the room Wednesday night comes around and I see Tommy Joe and Pee Wee there and I tell Tommy I need to know about this Holy Ghost and he says, hey, Terrence, Terrence Smith from Chicago comes to teach me about the baptism. Big cross tattooed on his head. I thought, what is it about Pentecostals? I don't want to tattoo my head. I don't want to hum when I talk. I just want people to quit hitting me in my face. He says, man, on the back row of the church said, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. That's worse than a Stephen King beginning. 45 minutes later, though, as the word came in, faith rose up. I said, I'm ready. He said, you ready? I said, oh, I'm ready. He said, hey, Pee Wee, come on. He's ready now. Here comes the people from that Sunday school class. They make a circle at the back, put me in the middle, gather hands so I can't escape this time. And then they start singing a contemporary gospel song. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And when they get done doing that, they start praying. Then they're talking in tongues with their hands up. The very same thing that scared the snot out of me on Sunday is now just something I'm okay with because faith has risen up. And I know when you lay your hands on me, it's going to happen. It's gonna, I'm going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit just like the apostles were in the upper room. The Gentiles were in Acts chapter 10. I mean, it was the New Testament norm for every person to be filled with the Spirit after they were saved. And so 
I'm just waiting, and then they start doing the prayer thing. And if you've never been in a Pentecostal church, you forget going to the movies. Find you a little crazy Pentecostal church. It's the greatest show on earth. And uh, they don't do anything easy. It's always got something going on. And like they go like this. They go to pray for you, and you think, oh, they're going to lay hands on me. I'm going to get it. It's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. And they're like, you know, they're almost to you, and then they back up. It's like a jellyfish. You know, it's just kind of got a life throb. This circle does to it. And their hands are five feet away, four feet away, three feet away. And about a foot away, you thought, if I get touched, I'm going to get it. And so you catch yourself. Catch a hand. Catch a hand. And rappers didn't create anything. It all came out of the church. They're all chump change for creative people. So... Long story short, they lay their hands on me. I began to speak in other tongues. I was filled with the Spirit. I mean, I was gloriously filled with the Spirit of God. And I want to share something with you because something happened to me. I pray in tongues every day. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit and I pray with my, my, my language. That's something every Christian ought to be able to do because you need to be strengthened by praying in the Spirit. But what, there was something more important to me that day. I'd watched enough people come to an altar and walk out the doors of a church and not keep their word to God. Not because they didn't want to, because they didn't have the strength to live out their beliefs. And when God filled me with the Holy Spirit, there was a confidence that came in. There was a security. There was an understanding that he that began a good work would finish it. And it changed my life. I'm going to wrap this up. My first Christmas in prison, I went to jail in January. December comes around. My mother has gotten saved. My stepdad got saved. My stepdad wouldn't have led my drunk father to Jesus Christ. God saved all the members of my family. That day, my mother's looking at the table that the family will gather at, and she realized my boy's chair is going to be empty. And she's crying, God, what am I going to do? I've never had one of my children gone. And she's praying. She realized I have a husband. I have children. I have my mother, brothers, in-laws, a tree full of presents and a banquet full of food. And my boy's going to be in a five-foot-long, you know, five-foot-wide and nine-foot-long cell by himself. What about my boy? And the Lord spoke to my mother, said, Barbara, don't worry about him. It's his first Christmas away from you. But it's his first Christmas with me. I sat and straddled a cardboard box and I had an apple and an orange, my first two pieces of fresh fruit in 1975. And opened my Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, where the angels appeared to the shepherds in the wilderness fields and said glory to God in the highest peace on earth goodwill towards men and can I tell you in that cell that day I didn't have a present didn't have a call had not touched my parents or anybody else and wouldn't for years to come I had the best Christmas I've ever had because I was in love with Jesus and he was in love with me And in that place, in his presence, is fullness of joy. I got out of prison in 1983 because of overcrowding. And every Christmas since then, 
At some point on Christmas Day, I've sat down with an apple and an orange, read Luke chapter 2, and asked myself the question, does Mari Davis love Jesus today? If I hadn't had the journey I've had, if I didn't have the family I have, if I didn't have the opportunities, if I was still in that cell, would I sit there in his presence, missing nothing? This last year, I sat down with my seven-year-old twin grandsons, Davis and Harry, and gave them their first apple and the orange and told them that story and asked them, do you love Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. It's not what we do here. It's what's happening in here. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This won't take long. I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you to respond one way or the other with an upraised hand. If you're here today and you'd say, Maury, I'm saved. I'm right with God. I believe if I died today, I'd go to heaven. There's nothing in me that is concerned about my eternal destination. I've been born again, and I'm walking with Christ. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you don't have any doubt whatsoever, you're confident in your salvation, would you raise your hand up real high? Okay, put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Some of you couldn't raise your hands. Either you've never prayed the first prayer to come to Christ, or maybe you've got some things in your life that you know shouldn't be there. Today's a good day to deal with them. If you'd let me pray with you today, would you slip up your hand right now? You couldn't raise the first time. Could you hold them up high for just a minute? I'm looking. I'm looking. If your hand's up and there's hands all over the building, would you look at me and make eye contact? Make eye contact. Just those of you with your hands up. And then if Now your eyes are open. Put your hands down. If we're making eye contact, I'm talking to you. You're good. You put your hands down. I got you. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth he is Lord, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth one confesses to salvation. The scripture that John wrote to the church was if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Because God realized and John realized that even once you come to Christ in salvation, there are moments you need to come clean all over again. You need to keep your heart clean. And so I want to lead you in a simple prayer, but I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to make your flesh uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to stand up. You say, do I have to stand up? The answer is absolutely not. But the Bible says if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of God. You need to learn to stand up for your faith and your God. And if you can't stand up in a place that is cheering you on to stand, how are you going to stand up wherever you go? Man, people are already standing. So if you're going to stand up, stand up. If you're going to pray this prayer and you're serious about it, I want you to stand up all over this room. I love people that said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm in. Could y'all come here? All of you come here. They're standing. Come down here. You led this thing. Come on down here. You lead the way. Just come all the way to the front. Come on, come on. You just stood up, dude. You just manned up. Come on. Fill in down here. Come on. Come all the way down so everybody can get in. Come as close as you can and just fill in as much as you can. Wow. That's a lot of people. The Bible says when one person repents, all of heaven rejoices. Heaven is a full Pentecostal church right now. They're going crazy. 
all over the throne of God. I'm going to lead you in a very simple little prayer. And then I'm going to give you three things I want you to do to stay where you need to be spiritually. And man, thank God for amazing grace. Let's pray this prayer together. Church, would you pray this prayer out loud with us? Dear Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask forgiveness for my sins. God, change me to what you want me to be. Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Because he lives, I declare that from this day forward, Jesus Christ will be Lord of my life. And I commit myself to his service in Christ's name. Amen. Come on, church. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. Three things. Three things. If you'll do these three things, you're going to make it. If you don't do any of these three things, you're going to struggle. If you don't do one of these three, if you don't do one of the, any one of these three things, you'll struggle. If you don't do all three, you're not going to make it. Number one, you got to learn to read your Bible. This is your soul food. This is your spirit food. This is how you renew your mind. You got to read your Bible. Get a Bible you enjoy reading. Pastor and some of the staff around here can help you find one that fits where your reading skill is, your reading hunger is at. Number two, you got to learn to pray and talk to God. You can't serve somebody you don't talk to. You say, Mario, I don't know how to talk to God. Well, how about, hey, God, uh, I'm going to eat this food and I don't want to have cholesterol and I don't want to have heart disease and, uh, I don't want to have diabetes. Bless this food. Now, don't ask God to bless your hamburger and your fries because you know you ain't supposed to be eating that. Sometimes I think God says, no, you're going to choke on it. I'll, I'll get you to heaven, but you're coming soon. And, uh, but learn to talk to God. God, he, 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 you be reverent, but be personal. He's your God. He's your Father. Jesus is your Lord and your brother. You're fellow servants with Jesus Christ. You're in the family. Just learn to talk. And the third thing is go to church. You know why you go to church? Because that's where your pastor is. The reason God gave pastors for the equipping of the work of God in your life. How do you become the person God wants you to be to do what God made you to do? A pastor is God's tool to equip you for that. You got saved in this church, your pastor's in this church. So be faithful and grow up in the Lord. And here's the deal. I don't know if I'll see you again. I don't know if I'm coming back. Don't know when I'll come back. But someday when we sit around the throne of God, I'd like to hear your story. Because every one of you have a story to tell. And there are people looking at you. Make sure they see the right story. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.